All right. Let's. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Let's let's pause for just a moment and say a quick prayer. Lord, let your glory dawn to take away our darkness. May we be revealed as the children of light at the coming of your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Good to see you all this morning. Uh, Thanks for coming out on this hot day. Um, (laughs) Nice to have you here. Um, In the baskets, the money from the baskets is going to go to Grace. Grace Academy. Is it called Grace Academy or Grace School? Grace School, right? Academy? Okay, that's what I thought. It's going to go to Grace. Uh, Also, so uh, thanks to everybody who helped out and participated um, with Christmas sharing. Um, Really, it's uh, it's just an exceptional thing, and it's run so smoothly, and everybody is participates so seamlessly. It's a joy to to see and a joy to, to be a part of, and um, you did a lot of good for a lot of people. So thank you so much for, to everybody who, who you know, from uh, you know, donating food and clothes and, and uh, household goods and counting toilet paper rolls and uh, you know, sorting and separating and uh, helping people you know, find their box of food on, on the day of. All that stuff was, is indispensable, and, uh, and, and so is Carol Holter. Thank you, Carol, for, for all you did. <laughs> It's a really great time, so uh, come back next year for that. Um, anything else? What else is going on? Um, Advent service this week? Oh, uh, Wednesday. For those of you who follow these sorts of things, the food truck will be here uh, with barbecue on Wednesday for dinner, and then Advent afterwards, of course. Um, and then the next week is Christmas already. So look forward to that. Anything else? Anything else we need to talk about? All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to jump right in. Um, pick up where we were. Actually, we're going to backtrack just a little bit because there are a few things about the Joseph story um, that we just should dwell on a bit more. So you everybody have a Bible? You need a Bible. Open to Genesis 37. And also a handout might be helpful. Um, it might not be. We'll see. Genesis 37. Genesis is the first book. Yes. I don't like these guys sitting over here. This is, this is going to be trouble. <laughs> okay. So now, um, do you remember from last week? We we sort of we got through part of the part of what happened in Genesis thirty-seven. This is where we were introduced to Joseph. Remember, these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph was a young man who was seventeen years old, right? And and what kind of a fellow was Joseph at the age of seventeen? Smart Alec, a brat, okay? Yep. We don't, we're not very fond of him. Because what did he do? He, he not only tattled on his brothers. What else? what else? What other charges can we bring against Joseph? He was a show-off. How did he show off? The dreams. Not only, not only one dream, but two dreams, right? Yeah, I dreamed a dream, and then I dreamed another dream. Let me tell you about the dream that I dreamed, and in, in which all of you were bowing down to me. It, let the reader understand, you know, about the sheaves and the stars and the moon, right, and the sun. Um, what else? What else? There's more, there's more to dislike about Joseph. He's his father's favorite, right? And, and his father gave him this, this, this robe, this coat, which is um, not incidental. I mean, we, we, tend, we sort of think of it as this really nice gift um, and just gen- generally a sign of his favoritism. But... Um, there's a lot more at stake, and I want to I dig a little bit deeper. 
Um, there's a couple of phrases that show up early in 37. Take a look at this. Verse 3, chap uh, chapter 37. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, which of course, you know, um, Israel, Jacob, should know better because of all the times that favoritism has gone wrong in his life to this point. Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age. Now, what do you, what do you suppose that means? It's a cryptic expression. I'll just tell you right now. It's cryptic and it's not exactly clear. But what do you think it means? Okay. So now, the son of your old age, what does that mean to you? Okay. So, so, so he has this son while he's old, right? But why, is that, why does that make Joseph special? Carol. Okay. His favorite wife, right? Uh, yeah. He, he was unexpected. Um, and uh, so, so all of these things, right? So the son of his favorite, his, his, uh, his favorite wife, so who is also, who has, to this point, has died already. Um, and, uh, of course, there's Benjamin as well, right? Um, but Joseph is the firstborn of, of the sons of his favorite wife. Um, and now, what happens when, when a fellow gets old and he has sons um, and needs to be taken care of? Who's going to take care of him? The son of his old age, right? The one, the one who's there, the one who uh, he selects, the one who he shows favoritism towards, you know, that one. The one who he elects to be the leader of the family, that's going to be the one who's there to help him in his old age. And how does he, how does he de designate this? How does he show this? Well, he gives him not just, not just uh, you know, a nice gift, but he gives him a coat, right? A robe, um, which is a, a status symbol, right? It's not just, Dad gave me a nicer iPod than he gave my brother, right? He gave me the keys to the car, right? He, he gave, he, you know, he's given me uh, um, the birthright, essentially. Now, we talked about this a little bit, right? Why, why is it unclear who should get the birthright? Remember what happened to Reuben? He slept with his father's wife or his father's wife's maidservant. Um, uh, Simeon and Levi slaughtered a bunch of people. Um, Judah would be next in line, the, the, the fourth son of Leah. Um, but at this point, Jacob's like, all bets are off. Joseph's my favorite. He's the guy. Here's the coat, okay? So th the, there's a really important question. We've seen this question before. This question came up all throughout Jacob's story in his relationship with Esau. Who's going to get the birthright? Who's going to receive the blessing? Now, if, jo if Jacob has his way... Who's it going to be? It's going to be Joseph, okay? And that, so the story is really framed to give us that impression. Um, Jacob is making a choice here, which may or may not be the choice that God makes. Um, in fact, take a look at the back of your handout. Um, as we go through these stories today, we're gonna, I want to I point out to you that there's a lot of ambiguity in the, in the stories. It's a little unclear sometimes who the good guys and bad guys are and how we sh exactly we should feel about people. Um, this, this first quotation from this, this author who writes a commentary on Genesis, he, he warns us to, to be careful how we think about Joseph. He says, Looking at Joseph in his ornamented tunic, bright, attractive, visibly compelling, we are likely to be captured by his elegant display. Many people, both in the story and those who read it, are dazzled by him. But who is it that recognizes Joseph for what he is? Are we perhaps at risk of sharing Jacob's favoritism and anointing Joseph with our own cloak of merited preeminence? Is the one we find most attractive also the most wise and the most just? The text's report of Joseph's ambiguous conduct serves as a warning. We must read Joseph with care, 
and interpret his every deed with caution, precisely because, like Jacob, we are given to playing favorites. Okay? And we're going to find out just how hard it is, as we go to the next story, we're going to find out just how hard it is to choose the one whom God chooses, right? It's difficult uh, in the Jacob and Esau story to choose Jacob because he's such a sneaky guy and he, he uh, takes advantage of his brother, right? It's hard to choose Jacob. But God doesn't choose people because they're easy to choose, right? He chooses them for his own reasons, for the sake of, for the sake of his purpose. Okay, um, move on just a little bit further down in the text here. We, I talked about this just briefly. Any, any questions before we go on here? This, this, question, this, this notion of birthright um, and succession in the family, this is, hold this in the back of your head as we go along. But look at, um, look at Joseph's dreams. Remember we said um, he has this dream where he's bowed down to by the sun, or the, the sun and the moon and the stars bow down to him. And it's, his father says, what, am I and your mother and your brothers going to bow down to you? Are we going to do that? And, of course, his mother is dead. And so this, sort of, this question about whether it's really fulfilled, whether, it's, uh, whether this dream is fulfilled in Joseph or later in the person of Jesus. And I wanted to just show you another example. We came across this text um, during the morning Eucharist this week from 2 Samuel, one of the great prophecies about Jesus, 2 Samuel chapter 7, let me just read this to you. You don't have to look it up. Uh, David wants to build God a house. He's built a house for himself, and he wants to build God a house. And God says, no, just hold on. It's not your job. Later, we find out it's because David's been so, uh, his, king, his kingship has been so laden with blood, and also because it's not, it's not the time for it. God's building him a house. Then he goes on, God says to David, look, I'm going to build you a house, and later your offspring, who shall come from your body, I'll establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, what does Solomon do? What's what's Solomon's big achievement? Builds a temple, builds a house for God, right? He sort of does what God promises David his offspring is going to do, but he doesn't quite do it all the way, because what's wrong with the temple? What's the, what, where does the temple fall short? It's man-made. It's made, of, made, made with stones that, can, that can, be, can be destroyed, can be tumbled down, right? Uh, what's the temple that can't be destroyed? Christ, yeah. Jesus is God dwelling with us forever, the, the establishment of his kingdom forever, okay? So the point is, uh, we see in Joseph a partial fulfillment, uh, a sort of a foreshadow, a type of Jesus who is bowed down to by even his father and his mother, uh, but it's finally fulfilled in Jesus, who, who comes and uh, serves without any of, the, any of the sort of moral ambiguity, the ethical baggage that Joseph seems to have going along in the story. Okay? Any, any questions at this point? Let's keep going. So we've, we've, done, we've done all of this, so I'm just, just a, couple of, a couple more things to think about. Notice uh, Jacob's attitude towards Joseph, though. When Joseph tells him his dream, what does Jacob do? He says, quit. Don't talk about that. But privately, in his heart, he kept in mind the saying, right? Jacob knows that there's something significant going on here. Uh, But publicly, for the sake of of his brothers, probably, for the sake of Joseph, he says, no, you know, hang on to that. Don't don't talk about that because it's clearly going to irritate your brothers. But then... How strange is it that Jacob sends Joseph off to visit his brothers, right? 
We talked, we talked about the, the providence involved. Jacob, Joseph is, goes into the, to the field to find his brothers, and he, there's this fellow wandering around who happens to know where his brothers are. He goes to his brothers, and they put him in the pit, and they say, we're going to make an end of this dreamer and his dreams. Uh, but who objects? Do you remember who objects to that plan? Reuben. Okay, so Reuben says, let's not kill him. Let's, let's just put him in the pit. We'll think about what to do with him. And Reuben's going to come back later and save him. They look up. They sit down to eat. They look up, and there's some Ishmaelite traders coming by. Now, this, is, this is just shows how, what a small world it is, right? Because the Ishmaelites, you remember the, how, the, how the genealogy works? We have Abraham, Isaac, and Ishmael. We also have... Um, that line's going the wrong direction. We also have another son, Midian. Okay, so Abraham has Isaac, Midian, and Ishmael. Isaac, you know, Jacob, Joseph. Um, but the Ishmaelites come along, so they're, this is really a tight-knit group. The Ishmaelites come along, and then there are Midianites who show up too. This is all sort of happening within the family, right? All these brothers are uh, conniving against Joseph, and they're going to sell him to their cousins, basically, Right? They're gonna, it's, it's a mess. Um, they certainly know who, who, who the others are. You know, it's, it's, not, it's, not like, it's not like you don't remember who Abraham is. He's our great-great-grandfather, remember? Remember that guy? He was a big deal, okay? They, they, it, the, so the Ishmaelites and the Midianites come along, and they sort of conspire, it seems, with the brothers. Uh, but there's another objection. Reuben objects, says, don't kill him. Who else objects? Let's look at the text. Verse 25. They sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way, carrying it down to Egypt. And Judah says to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. Judah has this spark of, uh, of a conscience at this point. It says, He's our brother. He's our own blood. Let's not kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery. How's that sound? Okay? And his brothers listened to him. As though, as though they didn't listen to Reuben, but they were going to listen to Judah. Remember, Judah's fourth in line. Reuben, Simeon, and Levi have kind of disqualified themselves from being leaders of the family. So they listened, they listened to Judah. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, they took Joseph to Egypt. Now, uh, this is where the story gets a little foggy uh, because Reuben comes back and he sees that, that Joseph's not in the pit and he is terrified, right? The boy is gone. The boy is no more. The word there in, in the Hebrew says he doesn't exist. He's, he's toast. He's gone, right? What, what, what am I going to do? Where shall I go? Because he feels responsible for this. They took Joseph's robe, so what's, what's the best course of action? Let's cover it up. Let's lie about it. They took Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in blood. Now this robe, remember the sign of, the sign of Joseph's favoritism, or his favor in the eyes of his father. And they sent the robe and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Is this Joseph's robe? By chance? They ask, and, and Jacob says, Well, why, yes, it is. It is my son's robe. And look how, look how Jacob just sort of... Uh, shows his soft underbelly here and, uh, and, and falls into their, into their plan. Um, a fierce animal has, has devoured him. Joseph is without a doubt torn to pieces. He tore his garments, put on sackcloth and ashes, 
And he refused to be comforted. Now, this is, this is where we find out just how um, egregious the sin of Joseph's brothers is. Because their father says, look, I don't want any comfort. I'm going to go down to the pit with my son. I'm going to go down to hell with my son. Sheol, I'm going to go down to the grave with my son, right? I don't want any comfort. I don't want any good news. Um, and his, his sons don't give him any, any relief, right? No mercy shown to their father who's grieving over the loss of the loss of his son. And then the story ends. Verse, chapter, chapter 37 ends like this. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. So it's a, it's a big to be continued, right? Just wait till, wait till next time. Okay, so let's pause there for a second. Um, you, know that, you know how this story goes. Um, one of the big questions to ask is, how is Joseph, how is Joseph like Jesus in this story? What are the different ways? And there are lots of them. So let's, let's kind of plot them out. What are the different ways that Joseph is like Jesus? Despised and rejected. Yeah, despised and rejected. A prophet. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so from the beginning, uh, let's see. Prophet, despised and rejected, not just by anybody, but by his, his family, right? Okay. Sold for silver, yeah, at a price. What else? Okay, he went down to Egypt. That's true. Yeah, exactly. Now, um, there's this, uh, yeah, it's, it, I, I haven't quite put, put the pieces together yet, but there's this really interesting thing that happens. Um, in Jeremiah, we hear uh, the prophet Jeremiah talk about Rachel weeping for her children because they are no more, which is incidentally the same phrase that Reuben uses. And that's quoted in Ma- by Matthew when Joseph takes his family to Egypt. And, and then when he's in Egypt, he dreams a dream, right? All these connections, are, I, don't know, I co- don't know quite what the point is. I'll work on it. Okay, I'll try and figure it out. But, 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 the, but all these connections are at play here, right? Um, because Joseph is just like Jesus in that he goes to Egypt. And, is, and, what, and what is Egypt for Joseph? What, is, what kind of a place is it for Joseph? For, sorry, for Joseph the patriarch. Let's return to Joseph the patriarch. Is initially exile, um, but he goes from, from where to Egypt? From the pit to Egypt, right? So for him, Egypt is salvation, right? So just like Jesus, uh, Joseph is in the pit, as good as dead, right? And just like Jesus, he, is, he has a, a resurrection of sorts, right? Um, and that resurrection, in his case, looks like Egypt. There should only be one S in resurrection. <laughs> if you're taking notes. Okay? I didn't want to say anything. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that, Dan. Okay, any questions? Yeah, that's right. Uh, favor, favor, uh, he receives the favor of his father. Okay, anything else? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So he's he receives honor from in the in the end in his kingdom when he comes into his kingdom he'll receive uh, receive this honor. Yep, established kingdom. There was something else over here. No. Yeah, mockery. Um, he's disp- yeah despised and rejected by men. He's he's uh, and, and and he went to, unto his own and his own did not know him. Right. Okay. Good. So you can see in just in this one chapter. Um, how Joseph looks a lot like Jesus, in spite of the fact that he is not 
he's a brat and um, you know uh, doesn't have this great character. And this is <clears throat> this is something really important for us. I mean, I said this before in a different way that the patriarchs are not models of virtue; they're models of faith, right? Another way to look at it is that they're not mod- they're not um, set before us uh, as for the sake of their character, but for the sake of their role, for the role that they have to play. And finally, what is Joseph's role? Yeah, yeah, saving the whole world, in fact, right? Because the, there's a famine throughout the whole world. And, and, and most importantly, uh, it seems, saving his family and forgiving his family, right? Um, okay, great. Any questions? Yes? Right. So this is good. And, and so here's the thing. Jo- I, I don't mean to say that Joseph isn't a good guy. In fact, of all the Old Testament, of all the gen- characters in Genesis, Joseph is probably the best, the best guy we got going, okay? He- right. And, and, and exactly. Yeah. But the, one, of the, one of the keys, though, is that the favor of his father, and as we'll see when he's in Egypt, the favor of God comes first. Then his character follows. Um, so, he, so, so he can start out being self-centered and lording it over his brothers and being a brat, but the favor is still there, right? That's, that's independent of his character. Um, and and what, we've, what we see in Joseph is kind of a, he's not a flat character at all. He changes. He, he, he matures. So that finally, uh, when he's in Egypt, he says, am I in the place of God? Which is not the kind of thing that he might have said when he, was in, when he was 17 and he had this dream where it seemed like he was in the place of God, right? Um, so so the, the key is for us to make sure that we get the order right. So we don't suppose that Joseph is shown favor because he's such a good guy, but it's, it's quite the opposite. And in fact, his journey through Egypt is a, sort of a trial by, it's a scrutiny. He goes through these tests where it looks like things are going really, really well, and it seems like God is on his side, and then he goes down to the pit again, right? Um, and, and that, for any Christian, for any person, that is a test, that is a, a, a strengthening, right, of faith. Carol. The Joseph of my childhood and this Joseph are opposite. Uh, do you read the story of Joseph and say, he was a brat. He was uh, envious. I mean, he was devious. I mean, that's not the Joseph that I learned in Sunday school. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's you're right. And and I don't. And again, so on the back of uh, on the back of your sheet, look at the the third quotation. So what I want to do is I want you to I want I want to encourage you to uh, not take things for granted about these characters. Um, this has been this is sort of the struggle all along in Genesis is not thinking about these people as examples for us to follow in their morality. The next story is going to be a prime uh, a prime evidence of that.
But look at this. Um, it's not. Uh, look at what Ambrose says. The third. The third quotation. Ambrose of Milan, church father. He says. Therefore, let the holy Joseph be set before us as a mirror of purity. For in his character and in his actions, modesty shines forth, and the splendor of grace is bright like a companion to his chastity, as it were. Think, thinking of his relationship with Potiphar's wife, right? He, he says no to Potiphar's wife. From this, then, the theme of the entire story has come, so that we may know forthwith that the man who has been perfected is not tempted to do the wrong of avenging his suffering and does not pay back evils in return. And he goes on, he goes on to say how this is how this is how only Christians could act, people who have, who have received the gospel. So that, in contrast with the first quotation, shows you two different pictures of Joseph, right? And the, the point is not to say that, either is not to emphasize that Joseph was, you know, a scumbag or that he was this shining example for us. The point is that the text is kind, leaves it kind of ambiguous uh, so that, so that people, can, people disagree about it. Carol, yeah. Right. He did, uh, you know, right. favor. So, I mean, surely God found favor with Joseph. But, but why does God find favor with people? Is it because they're favorable? No, right? And this is, I mean, this is so counterintuitive. I, I, let me just say this outright. This is so counterintuitive that you always have to remind yourself of this. Uh, we say this all the time about other saints, right? Mary. Why did God find favor with Mary? Was it because she was favorable? We talked, remember we talked about this? I showed you the picture from Jesus of Nazareth. It's hard to show a chaste Mary that doesn't seem like she deserves God's favor. Right? And Noah, blameless before God, right? Um, which came first? God's favor or his blamelessness? Same thing is true here with Joseph. Now, especially when we get to Egypt in chapter 39... The text makes it really clear that God's favor acts independently of what Joseph does. That the Lord favors him, and that's why things go well for him, and that's also why things don't go well for him. Okay? It's, and that's why, he, that's why he succeeds, and that's why he ends up in jail. It's because of the Lord's favor. That's the first thing. Karen. Karen. <laughs> you know, and um, I, I am comforted that we have all these people like Peter and Joseph that find, do find favor in the Lord's eyes. And then there's, there's hope for me, too. Yeah, absolutely. I, and, and, and that, I think, is the big, the big takeaway from Genesis, right? Genesis, this is your family history. This is your family, and, and the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Let me just, we'll say that. Um, and you see this uh, in, uh, in the genealogy. We'll talk about this a little bit more if we get to the Judah and Tamar story. The genealogy that Matthew gives us before the birth of Christ, uh, we'll take a closer look at it. It's not a pretty genealogy, right? He could have, Matthew could have told us all of the really good people that we like in the, in the family tree. Instead, he highlighted the people who were 
of questionable character. And precisely for that reason, Karen, so that we would be comforted, so that we would know that Jesus came for precisely that kind of people and that God's promise is fulfilled in precisely those kinds of people. Bill. Is not the, the idea that God favors some exactly the same as God choosing us first? Uh, well, it, it has to do with God's choice, absolutely. Yeah, so um, choosing us first, you mean us, us Christians, us here and now? Yeah, I mean... That's favoring us. The fact that we're here, the fact that we, uh, that, we he- that we hear and believe, the fact that you were baptized, the fact that um, you received the Lord's Supper, this is God's favor. This is God's favor. Um, and this is the starting place, right? This is, this is where it begins. Dave. One of the things that struck me is the, all, the various forms of sinners that are included in the genealogy. Yeah. And the only ones that are excluded from it were Ahab and Jezebel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They crossed the line. <laughs> they, they crossed, yeah, lots, of, lots and lots of lines, right? Yeah, you're right. It's, it's interesting. And uh, there's a lot to dig into there. Um, let, let's, let's get to this um, because the genealogy is really significant. But we have to know the next story first, okay? So let's do this. Chapter 38, Judah and Tamar. And I'm going to give you the Reader's Digest version of this story. Um, you, probably, you probably know bits and pieces of this. But to put this in perspective... We have, between chapters 37 and chapter 50, the, from 37 to the end of Genesis, we have the Joseph story. We got this first chapter, 37, which tells us about Joseph, and it leaves us with this cliffhanger, and then all of a sudden, we have this story about Judah and Tamar, chapter 38. And it doesn't seem to have anything to do with Joseph. In fact, for those who, are, who like to be critical of the Bible, this is one of their favorite things. They say, aha, somebody was just goofing around. They put this story in here. But... I, it's not, it's not the case. This has everything to do with the Joseph story, right? Um, and the question for you to, to sort of wrestle with is what, what is that? What's the relationship? So Judah, uh, after this event, situation with Joseph, leaves his family and goes over to his, to his buddy Hira's house, an, an Adulamite. Um, and he got married while he was there. Now, in the past, marrying Canaanite women wasn't a great idea, um, it's, it's unclear whether this was a good idea. It probably wasn't. Um, but it, the text, that's not the, that's not the point of the story. So he marries this woman, the daughter of Shua. She's not named at any point in the text. And he has three sons, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. Okay, three sons. And he says, my oldest son, if I'm going to have offspring, if there's going to be a succession, if, if I'm going to give my inheritance to anybody, my oldest son needs to have a son, so let's get him married. And he marries Tamar. Okay, so let me draw... A diagram, because I know it's easy to lose track of this. And also, because you need to have the full effect of just how bizarre this story is. Okay? So Judah marries someone. We don't know her name. And he has three sons. The oldest is Ur. The second is Onan. And the third is Shelah. Okay. And Ur marries Tamar, who's over here somewhere. Now, Ur was wicked in the sight of God, and so he killed him. <laughs> one, one verse. He gets one verse. So, so, so don't be wicked in the sight, okay? All right. Now, uh, not only among the people of Israel, but also just generally, there was 
um, there was the, this tradition, and th- this was a law for the people of Israel, that if your older brother was married and, his, and he died without having any sons, your job was to marry his wife and have some sons. So Onan marries Tamar, but he shirks his duty. He doesn't have any sons on purpose. Okay? So God kills Onan. Okay? These two people are no more. Now, Shelah at this point is just a young lad, and Judah is also very concerned about the lives of his sons because Tamar seems to be causing problems for them. (laughs) So he says to Tamar, go live in the house of your father, and when Shelah is old enough, you can marry him, and then then Shelah will do the duty that he's supposed to do, and he'll raise up sons for Ur. Actually, this is also really important. The reason Onan doesn't do it is because he knows that if he has children with Tamar, they won't actually be his kids, but technically. I mean, technically. Biologically, they're his kids, but for in, the, in the interest of birthright, they are Ur's offspring, right? Because he's fulfilling his duty for his brother. So that's why he got killed. He was conniving about the birthright. Now Judah um, uh, is just un, unsure about what's going to happen here. Okay, this is where the story gets bizarre. As it wasn't at this point. Okay, this, this poor woman right here uh, dies. Um, we don't know anything about her except that she, she lived and she died. And Judah, when he was comforted, went back to his friend Hira's house. Now, this guy, this fellow, we don't, just think about um, what, all the bad things that happen when he goes to his friend's house, just, just generally speaking. So that so sort of colors the story. He sh- probably shouldn't go hang out with his buddy because along the way, um, he sees a prostitute. Now, Tamar had heard that Judah was going to his friend's house, and she said to herself, I'm going to dress up like a prostitute so that Judah will come and have kids with me. Okay? That's what she said. Um, so Judah's along the way. He, he runs into Tamar. She looks like a, 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 a temple prostitute, a cult prostitute, and he says, okay, what, uh, what do you want? I'll give you a goat. How's that for payment? Okay? And she says, uh, that sounds good, but you don't have the goat with you. Um, give me your cord and your seal and your staff as a pledge, so that uh, I know that you'll come back and give these to me. I mean, these three things were sort of the, the signifiers of, Ju- of Judah's importance in the household, right? Give me those things, uh, and then you can bring me the goat later, right? So uh, Judah and Tamar um, have this relationship. Then he leaves, and, he, and he's going to send back the goat later. He sends his friend with the goat, and they can't find her. There was no prostitute here, they say. Um, and Judah says, this is really embarrassing, Let's just take the goat and leave, okay? Now, a few months later, Tamar is pregnant, three months pregnant. Uh, And Judah finds out that she's pregnant, and what does he do? He says two words, which in English are more than two words. Bring her out and burn her, okay? Uh, He's, he, it seems like, it, it seems like he's looking for an easy way out from this problem that he has of needing to marry Tamar to his son, Shelah, who he's afraid he's going to die if he marries Tamar, right? Um, so bring her out and burn her. Tamar says, as she's being brought along to burn, she says, you see these things? This staff and this seal and this cord? Who do they belong to? And Judah says, now this is remarkable. So at this point, the story is just crazy, and there doesn't seem like there's going to be any good way out of this, right? But look at what Judah says. This is, we have to go to the text for this. 
We're in chapter 38, verse 25. Okay? As she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law. Her father-in-law, yep. Uh, the man to whom, uh, by whom, by the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. She said, and she said, "Please identify whose these are: the signet and the cord and the staff." Then Judah identified them and said, "She is more righteous than I, since I did not give her my son to my son Shelah." What do you call that? What Judah just did there? Repentance. Yeah. Um, that doesn't. That doesn't. It happens surprisingly infrequently in the Old Testament, that people, when they're confronted with their sins, actually repent, okay? But Judah, uh, confronted with the evidence of his crime, repents. He says, she is more righteous than I. And this is, this is, where, this is where it fits into the, the Joseph narrative altogether. Judah has left his family and is uh, doing his own thing and, uh, and is, is leading this life which is kind of... Um, sort of discarding what God has in store for his family. Um, he's sent his, son, his brother off into slavery. Even though he didn't want to spill his blood, he still was, was kind of sketchy about his duty to his brothers and to his, and to his family. Now, he's paying the price for not doing the duty that he, that he owes to his family. He should have given his son to Tamar. That was, the, that was the way things were supposed to work, so that there could be offspring, because who, has, who gets the promise in the end? It's Judah, Right? And so this, this episode sort of fits into the arc of Judah's character development, right? He starts out uh, as, as somebody who doesn't really care about his family. Um, and by the end, by the end, I'll just clue you in what happens. By the end, he offers himself as a pledge on behalf of Benjamin, right? He says to his father, if Benjamin doesn't return from Egypt, it counted on, t- take it from my account, all right? This is, this is on me. Um, and so his role is completely reversed. He takes this leadership position in the family, and he becomes the one who uh, makes sure that the promise is fulfilled. Now, the story ends, the story of Judah and Tamar ends uh, with this bizarre birth scene, okay? 27, when the time of her labor had come, there were twins in her womb, and when she was in labor, one put out a hand, and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread around his hand, saying, this one came out first, But as he drew back his hand, behold, his brother came out. And she said, What a breach you have made for yourself. Therefore, his name was called Perez. Afterward, his brother came out with the scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called Zerah. Now, this rings all kinds of bells of of something that had happened before, right? Isaac, or Jacob and Esau wrestling in in Rebekah's womb. Esau is red, right? His name, Edom, means red. Um, And... uh, it's, it's unclear which one is the firstborn, right? Which one really, who, who is the firstborn? What do, you have to, what do you have to do to be the firstborn? Um, now, take a look. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. Any questions about how that story, did the plot of that story make sense? It's a complicated story. Okay? Matthew chapter 1. This is this probably be the last, one of the last things we do here. Matthew chapter 1. And we just need the first three verses here just to get to cover this territory. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And, and, and that's what it says in the ESV. Genealogy is the same word that's used. These are the generations of Jacob, right? These, these are the generations of Jesus Christ. This is what we've got to work with, okay? The son of David, the son of Abraham. 
Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. So who's the first woman that gets mentioned in this genealogy? Not Rebecca, not Sarah, not Rachel. Tamar, right? And uh, he could have, Matthew could have said, Judah the father of Perez, Perez the father of Hezron. But he makes a point. He goes out of his way to remind you of this really awful story, right? And it's, it's, it's for the reason you identified, Karen, right? That uh, we fit really well into this genealogy. And if, if this genealogy uh, is, is the ancestry of Christ, if this genealogy is the family that Christ came, uh, came from and comes to, uh, then, then we're going to be okay, right? Then we're going to be okay. Any questions? Josh? I just think it's a little bit interesting that the, um, the tribes in the history of Israel that did much better than the other ones were descended from the two guys who weren't as bad as everybody else um, uh, in uh, the book of Genesis because you've got Benjamin and Judah who were compared to most of their brothers a lot better. Yeah, sure, yeah. I mean, and, and, the, and interestingly, when we get to the end of Genesis, we hear Jacob give his blessing to all of his sons and to Joseph's sons. And uh, what he says to each of them is, is very profound. Some of them don't get... Some of them don't get much at all. You're going to be, uh, what does he say? Let me just give you an example here. He says some really short things and unfavorable about uh, some, of these, some of these kids. Asher's, let's see, uh, raiders shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their heels. Poor Gad, that's all he's got going for him. Um, Asher's food shall be, ri- be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. That's great for Asher. But then Joseph gets seven verses, six or seven verses, right? And uh, so, so the, these Again, one of the, key, the keys to keep in mind is that the outcome for these people, the outcome for these families, uh, is, is decided by God's favor and, and by the favor of their father in this case, um, and not because of, not because of their behavior. Uh, it's because of God's favor that, that, that they're blessed or that they suffer, right, one way or the other. Okay, any questions? All right. Everything making sense? Next, so now next week uh, will be the last week before we take some time off for Christmas. And uh, it, fortunately, the rest of the Joseph story accelerates pretty, pretty rapidly, and you know most of it. So we'll come back and we'll do the highlights of the rest of Joseph, and we'll tie it all together um, and see if you have any questions. Okay? All right. Let's close with prayer. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.